Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. with me right now, Tim Woolworth. Tim, a lot of my audience might not be familiar with your work, man. I mean, this is a UFO podcast, so I was super excited to see your name pop up in the speakers list because I wanted to see what a guy from the paranormal world has to say about UFOs. So could you give our audience maybe a little little, um, elevator pitch, as it were? Like, what's your origin story when it comes to the paranormal? Um, the origin story, it's kind of crazy. My mother is like this uber Christian. I mean, uber Christian. So growing up, she had books on ghosts and scrying and demonic possession and all this stuff on the wall because she wanted to be a better Christian. She wanted to know everything that, uh, she should protect herself from. But here I am, this little impressionable kid. And I'm seeing these pick, these woodcuts of witches and images of ghosts and talk of demons and exorcisms. And I'm just devouring that stuff as a kid. Mm-hmm. And that got my love, the juices flowing for the paranormal throughout my entire life. And also my stepfather, as I mentioned in the talk earlier, he's a conspiracy freak, absolute conspiracy freak. So I grew up watching the conspiracy side and videotapes okay. uh, as a kid of the uh, late seventies, early eighties. And, uh, so I grew up watching like 20th generation, uh, VHS tapes of Bob Lazar's interviews because <laughs> you couldn't get that stuff in New York and the internet wasn't a thing. Right. So he would, he had a network of people and, um, back of magazine, stuff like that. And he would get these tapes sent to him. So I grew up watching this stuff as well. So like the Phoenix lights, the lights in Florida, all that stuff I grew up with in real time. Mm-hmm. And uh, ufology has always been there in my blood, as has been the paranormal. And a few years ago, I realized there was this crossover between the paranormal and ufology. Right. And before we go any further, you mentioned getting the juices flowing. I have to admit, you are one hell of a craft beer brewer, my man. Cheers. Cheers to that. What are we drinking? We are drinking a pumpkin ale that I named Baby Boo. <laughs> the Baby Boo is actually a pumpkin. It's a is little it really? gourd. Yeah. Okay. And uh, this is a pumpkin ale. I brew it. it. It came out at the end of September. And I'm a pro brewer by trade. And this has a bunch of caramelized pumpkin and spices in it. And it's just... Super easy drinking. Yeah. I mentioned to you earlier, like, pumpkin beer is my time of the year. I go out in New York and find every single pumpkin beer I can possibly find. But this, I mean, this takes the cake, man. Thank you, There's nothing like a home-brewed beer in terms... When you see, like, Sam Adams come Mm -hmm. out with with a pumpkin beer, 
I'm not going to believe that they actually, like you, were there mashing these things and getting everything just right. It's like, it's just, you know, it's a well-oiled machine when it comes to these big breweries. So how is it competing with stuff like that out there? Well, we're a smaller brewery. Um, We're considered a microbrewery because we do just under a thousand barrels a year. Okay. But we're distributed all throughout southeastern Michigan and draft only, not cans or bottles. So you pick it up, you get it at your bars. Okay. And uh, this beer last year it sold out in three and a half weeks i'm on two weeks right now and i've got probably a, a quarter of it left wow yeah and i mean your fridge is packed i might add oh i brought a couple gallons yeah so we've got two days to finish all of this you only have to drink a half gallon a day that's true <laughs> that's true um i guess we should get back to ufos i guess um this could be a whole beer episode but um so tell us a little about what you talked about today, we okay. just I just heard you talk for the first time ever, mm-hmm. and as soon as you started, I was hearing words I'd never heard before in any UFO talk ever. I mean, you were talking about, first of all, the spirit box, something that I'm a little familiar with. I've used it off and on in the past at some small paranormal investigations I was a part of, but could you explain to us sort of the technology that you talked about today? Yeah, so my focus today was on something called instrumental transcommunication, um, ITC for short. Basically, instrumental transcommunication is the use of any instrument, an independent instrument. So let's say the microphone you have on the table here right now is an instrument. It's recording this conversation. (laughs) So instrumental transcommunication is using these instruments to record communication from trans-dimensional entities. And what my main focus was today is these entities, um, be it ghosts, be it... uh, Elementals, be it aliens, as we discussed today, are transdimensional and their consciousness <laughs> is being projected through some means we don't know and it's being picked up by our devices and we can record it and review it later on. So today in the talk, we, we went over a few different methods of mm-hmm. ITC that have given really substantial results in ufology. Um, by the way, yeah. just on your opinion... I always say ufology, and a lot of people say ufology. <laughs> What's your take on oh, that? Oh, man, I'm in no position to make that determination. I, I, I would say ufology. I think it sounds a little better than ufology. or Yeah, um, ologies are ologies. So, exactly. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, there's no degree. So whenever people call me a ufologist, I just say... I'm a UFO researcher. You know, I didn't go to school for this. You know, there's no there's no degree in ufology, but um, that's a really good question. I call myself an ITC specialist. There you go. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Yeah, I'm a UFO specialist. Yes. (laughs) So uh, what we discussed today was hydromancy, which is the use of scrying and light and liquid (laughs) to obtain images from the other side, and then. Hydromancy, hydromancy goes back centuries. Like mm-hmm. Nostradamus and John Dee and all of these luminaries used hydromancy to scry and get messages from the other side. And we're also getting images that are possibly ET. Uh, you saw a few of those today. What did you think? Yeah. I mean, okay. So I always struggle when it comes to, um, to the idea of, um, what is it called? Pareidolia? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we can always factor that sort of thing into someone suggesting that we're seeing this in an image. But the images you were showing, you weren't 
telling us what to look for. You were showing us the image, mm-hmm. and it was there before you even started talking about it. So that's when I was like, okay, there's something to this. There is. I'm seeing it before he's even telling me. And, you know, I, I, I probably had an idea that what we were seeing was going to be some something to do with an extraterrestrial. But there were some images you showed that were just unarguable, in my opinion. It's a, They're dead-on faces yeah. of grace. Right. Right. And I think the other big thing you brought up today that I found really interesting was uh, your comparison of what Aleister Crowley saw. Yes. Um, and relating it to the Betty and Barney Hill case. Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar, were you familiar with that before? A little bit. Okay. A little bit. I've seen the image of Lamb on occasion. I- I've never been a student of the occult or anything mm-hmm. like that. But that image pops up all the time. And I always found myself being like, what is that? Where where is that from? I've never heard it in UFO literature before, or yeah. seen seen it in UFO books. So it was pretty interesting when he showed it to us. Yeah, yeah. So what he's referencing is uh, Alistair Crowley, who I'm sure you've heard of out there um, in podcast land. And Crowley did a working in 1917 to communicate with transdimensional beings. He wanted to open up a rift, a doorway. Um, through this working in Manhattan to communicate with those, with those other transdimensional beings. And what he did is he projected his consciousness into this void after days of work. And this being came up to him and this being um, said its name was lamb. And he published it in a publication called the Equinox. And when you look at this image, so if you just Google Alistair Crowley Lamb, you're going to see it. You've got the classic guitar pick head, the the eyes, the two holes for a nose, the slit for a mouth. And I asked the audience today, what do you see here? And everybody said a gray. And the thing that tripped everyone out was this was done in 1917. Betty and Barney Hill gave us our first modern representation of the gray in 1961. Yeah. So the cool thing, when you actually extrapolate that out further, which I didn't do in the talk today, is if Aleister Crowley worked to open up a portal between dimensions, and then we started to see grays, is this whole thing due to his work? Right. You have to wonder, like... Was there an influence subconsciously? Did he open that portal and right. not close it? Did he open it? Yeah. Well, in that, that's a really good point because we in the UFO field look at something like the inception of the modern UFO era with yes. Kenner, Kenneth Arnold and the mm-hmm. flying saucers. Now, we all know that he actually didn't see flying, a flying saucer. He saw a crescent-shaped object, and the way it moved, it looked like a saucer skipping on water. The headline in the newspaper got it wrong and literally put flying saucer. So what did everyone see after that? Saucers. Exactly. So you got to wonder when the first modern UFO era case wasn't even a flying saucer and everyone saw saucers after that. What came first, chicken or the egg, you know? Well, before that, we had airships. Right, right. And then, you know, airships transmogrified into something else before airships. Yeah. Who knows? Right. And another really interesting thing that you brought up was uh, the spirit box. Who created this and why he created it. I didn't know this. Okay. First of all, would you mind giving us a little history lesson? Not a problem. Um, So... 
if you want to dig in deeper, I've got a site called ITC Voices that covers all of this stuff. But the ghost box, as I call them, Spirit Box is a bastardization of okay. the name okay. um, that came out in 2010 for a commercial device. Mm. Uh, ghost boxes, as they have become known, were first created in 2002 by a man named Frank Sumption. Now, the the creation of this box is just a fascinating story. Yeah. So you have to go kind of back into history and that. The first major waves that were made with EVP, electronic voice phenomena, for those who don't know, it's basically where you put down a recorder, you ask questions, you play it back, and sometimes you'll get answers that from a voice that wasn't in the room with you. It's a phenomenon that's been around since 1957. Mm -hmm. So there's this guy named Konstantin Radova who wrote a book called Breakthrough that brought EVP to the Western world. It was in English. And Radova kind of became the jumping off point for EVP. So in 1995, there was this author named uh, Constantinos, and it was in Popular Science Magazine or Popular Mechanics. I uh, can't remember right off the top of my head, but it was October 1995. And it was all about communicating with ghosts. Mm -hmm. And it talked about Constantine Radova white noise, which is a very, uh, a very necessary part of communication, and a device that Radova used called the Radova Diode. Frank Sumption, the guy who created Ghost Boxes, bought that magazine because he was on all like the the old uh, boards that we all used to use yeah, way back in the day. Message boards for those kids out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which later turned into Yahoo Groups when that was a Ooh, thing. Yes. Nice. So uh, um, Frank had this magazine and he was all into EVP and ghosts and alien communication. He thought that EVP would be great for alien communication. Mm -hmm. So he bought this magazine, read it, put it on a shelf. He was a high school janitor. And in the season between 2001 and 2002, he's on his Christmas vacation. He pulls down the magazine. He was a ham radio operator in Vietnam. So he was kind of a tinkerer. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, radio operator in Vietnam, and he had his own ham station. He was an electronics engineer. He was a janitor by trade. So he pulled down this magazine, read it, went to sleep, and a fully formed circuit to talk to aliens popped into his head. He woke up, he wrote it down, and set about making the box. The very first ghost box was made in a cookie tin, and it's still sitting in his widow's kitchen. Wow. And... uh he didn't know what to call it at that point in time. The name eventually got ascribed Ghost Box. And what it is, is it's a box that's kind of crazy. You have a radio receiver in it, and basically the, you're picking up, and it's scanning this radio receiver at a super fast rate. Right. And with the good boxes, like I have on all these cases over here. Yeah, he's um, got quite, a, <laughs> quite an arsenal over here. You I can, can admit to that. You can uh, you can change the, the speeds manually. So you can run up and down the bandwidth manually. Okay. And uh, as it goes up and down the bandwidth, voices start to form in the void that's created. And you get crystal clear communication on some boxes. Mm -hmm. And that's what a few of the ET clips that I played today were all about. Yeah, they there were some startling audio clips that you shared with us where, again, what, what I enjoyed about your presentation is you didn't tell us what to look at. You, you didn't tell us what to listen for. You just played it and let us decide. 
you know, and it was there, man. Like I, I heard it clear as day a few times. The fact that Pleiades came through, the fact that Anunnaki came through at one point. Yeah. I was like, oh god. Well, it gave me chills. Yeah. So Frank, when he made these boxes, he made them to talk to aliens. Right. And aliens started to talk to him, and they said some really messed up stuff to him. Yeah. Um, they kept calling him the Purple Princess, and when I first met Frank, he actually had purple earrings in his ear. He just completely embraced the role. <laughs> so they called him a purple princess, that he was a diva. He was um, from the Pleiades. Okay. He was the girl from the stars. He, he was brought here by a ship and dropped off. The Anunnaki were going to pick him up soon. Okay. And when I played that clip, what did you hear? <laughs> What about Frank? Clear as day, purple, first of mm-hmm. all. That was, like, the big one. Um, what was the other one I heard? Um, oh, God. Well, we had stuff like we brought Diva to them. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sent by the ship. Sent by the ship. That yes. one. That one really And me, how did man. that sound to you, those words? It felt very, um, how can I put it? Very mechanical, very um, non-human. Exactly. No emotion. Yeah, it, it was simply... A means to communicate. It, it wasn't about, you know... It's like thought transferred into words. Exactly. And yeah. c- consciousness transferred into words. Yeah. And it sounds like it came from a species that doesn't speak English. It just grabbed mechanical tones. Right. And these and the cool part... Well, not cool, um, but they basically said in this particular clip we're referencing that Frank was going to be picked up next and he was to stay advised because he's departing mm-hmm. and he died three months later. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, again, like the, the coincidences and the synchronicities that seem to be happening with mm-hmm. all of that is really startling. Um, the idea of consciousness, mm-hmm. this is something that I think the UFO community is very new to. I mean, there's, there've been people who've brought this up in the past. Um, but when you have some of our most prominent scientists and physicists and everyone talking about if there is life out there, they're going to communicate with us through radio signals. Um, and where has that gotten us? We, we talked earlier, mm-hmm. the wow signal. That's okay. It. Yeah. That's, that's it. pretty much it. If you think about it. So why do we continue to use this means to try to communicate with ET? Because on these boxes, they communicated via radio. Yeah, yeah. But 
also the idea of consciousness. Yeah. They're communicating through the radio with consciousness yes. too, right? Consciousness is the key. Yeah. Because if you're dealing with a sentient being, you're dealing with a conscious being. Right. You want to find a way to communicate that you're going to have consciousness on both ends. And that's where instrumental transcommunication comes in. Right. Because consciousness leads to consciousness. It's, it's, it's hard to explain if you've never done ITC, mm-hmm. but you're dealing with a sentient being that is communicating with you that you cannot see. Physically. Physically. Right. You are having conversations through a broken radio. Yeah. And they're making themselves known in two-way conversation. Right. So for the skeptics out there, yeah. or these these nuts and bolts ufologists who, unless that, you know, metal craft is on the ground and I've got trace evidence that I can look at, what do you say to the people out there who don't, don't ascribe to any of this consciousness stuff when it comes to ET. What what would you say to them in terms of we haven't we haven't like found shit in seventy years? No, when we it haven't. Comes to- We've got some crop circles that may or may not be crop circles. Right. That's it. Right. We got some metals that you may know have all come be- back pretty prosaic in most and, cases. And the best part is these metals are passed from researcher to researcher and constantly get retested. And right. it's always the same result. Right. It's always the same result. So, I mean, is this a whole avenue of ufology that you think is is untapped? Or? I think it's wholly untapped. Okay. Um if you go back into the to the annals of EVP history, like Raymond Cass and Sarah Eastep, they were claiming that they were getting alien voices. And I've listened to Cass, and he, there's a voice on there claiming to be from another planet and stuff like that. Okay. These are simple techniques where you can just throw down a recorder um, for those who are out there doing, like, CE5 sessions. If you're, if you're meditating and trying to uh, communicate with, the, uh, with alien consciousness, record it. Mm. What have you got to lose? When you're in a field... Doing an investigation, just put the recorder down and sit there for ha- for half an hour and see what you get. Right. I mean, it's not hard to implement. <laughs> no, it's not. It's a simple press of a button. Yeah, like we're yeah. doing right now. Right. My last question for you, Tim, is um, there's been a lot of talk at the conference so far about uh, the intersectionality of all these phenomena, whether it's cryptids or mm-hmm. the supernatural or UFOs. And we all seem to be stuck in these camps of if there's a ghost involved, there's no alien involved. What are your thoughts on the either non-connections or connections between all these phenomena? I'm completely in the keel camp where everything is interconnected. I mean, I think most of the phenomena is completely related to our consciousness and what we are calling to the forefront. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm going on an investigation, I've... I have evidence on my site that we are actually re- sometimes we're recording people who are alive mm. and their consciousness is coming through our devices okay. and they're not present in the room. I mean, this is indisputable audio. I've ran it through spectrograms where you can compare the EV, the uh, EQ, the frequencies between the two and they match. Wow. It's, it's absolutely insane. But when you look at that and you're like, well, I'm out here doing a UFO investigation. If I know consciousness from a living person can somehow translate itself into a device, how do I know that 
when I'm out on a UFO investigation, my consciousness isn't creating the results of the investigation. Yeah. We don't. We don't. Yeah. I mean, we apply ourselves... And you never know. You can also throw retrocausality into it where, you know, 10 years from now, we could be sitting down talking and our conversation 10 years from now could be informing what we're saying right now. Right. I mean, retrocausality is possible in physics. Yeah. It's there's so much out there that we don't know. And to just simply limit yourself to nuts and bolts is to do yourself and the field in a, a disservice. Yeah. I, I'm so happy to hear you say that as as a younger UFO researcher coming into a field of, let's be honest, an old guard or gatekeepers, as it were. It's tough when you want to scream I want to talk to this guy who's looking at the paranormal and see what he has to say about it. They say, oh, no, no, we don't talk to them. We don't talk to them. So I think bridging that gap and having someone like yourself bring an entire new set of standards to the UFO field is not only uh, cool, but it's essential. So I have to thank you for that. Can you give us your website one more time? Yeah, I've got uh, two sites, one dedicated strictly to ITC. It's called itcvoices.org. And I've got one that is more expansive that covers every facet of the paranormal, including ufology. Okay. See, I switched it up there. Yeah, you did. <laughs> nice. And that's called uh, paranormalstudy.com. Okay, awesome. And um, do you have anything else coming up? Any investigations or anything you're working on? Oh, I have a uh, some fun stuff coming up. I can't release it right now. But, uh, yeah, there's some really cool stuff for me in, in the future. I'm happy to do that. And a bunch of cons coming up. So, yeah, Google my name. See if cool. I'm coming to an area near you. Awesome, man. In the meantime, we're just going to keep drinking your amazing beer. Cheers. Cheers, brother. Damn, that's good. We got to try this one. I am with Eric Wojciechowski right now, and we met for the first time today, man. I've met so many people for the very first time here in Michigan that I've been waiting to meet forever, and you're one of those people. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we've had some uh, conversations on Twitter and Facebook and so forth, and uh, I knew you were going to be here, and I was going to be here, and our tables are right across from each other. I know. Isn't it crazy you... You follow people on social networks, you listen to all these podcasts, and then when you actually meet in person, it's almost surreal. It's like, oh my god, I've been listening to this person and watching them for so long. Right, I've been listening to Somewhere in the Sky's podcast uh, and, and so forth, and I listened to your most recent one about the UFO Congress. I know you couldn't be there, but you had your soldiers out in the field yep. doing, doing the interviews <laughs> and so forth, and uh, yeah, so I'm very familiar with your work. Awesome. Yeah. Now, um, are you a Michigan... Yes, yes. I live in Livonia, which is a suburb of Detroit. Okay. And I've lived in the area of uh, Southeast Michigan my whole life. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. And the reason I wanted to talk to you today is about your book. But before we get to that, um, how did you get involved in the UFO thing? Do you have like an origin story like a lot of us do? Um, Mainly my father, my grandfather, uh, they would they would talk about these things. And In Search Of was big back in the 70s, and he would watch that. And so there was Bigfoot and UFOs. And my interest in uh, UFOs uh, got started with uh, when I got interested in ancient Egypt when I was in college. Uh, and um, a friend of mine says, well, you know there's pyramids on Mars, right? 
and that started it. I, I got Richard Hoagland's Monuments of Mars. Yep. I read yep. that, and that leads into Chariots of the Gods, and then to Zachariah Sitchin. And now I'm interested in the ancient astronaut theory, which today everyone only knows as ancient aliens. Right. Of course, but I still go with ancient astronaut theory. Okay, uh, yeah. Well, see, and that's the thing. Like, this stuff has been going on long before the TV show. Right. You mentioned uh, Danikin and um, Stitchin, even. Yep. Um, so, what do you make of the whole ancient astronaut theory? I got to ask. A lot of people don't don't put a lot of stock into it, you know. Yeah. Um, when they're saying aliens built the pyramids, right. and we know full well it was probably human beings Correct. who did it. Uh, what do you make of that whole uh, complexity of did aliens build these, you know, the monuments and so forth? Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> I, okay. don't, I don't think that they did. Okay. I'm fairly... I, there was a, a guy that I worked with, and uh, he was an anthropologist, and he was Mesoamerican, actually, Mayan and so forth. Aztec, I think, was his specialty. Um, and he um, wasn't working at the time, so he worked in the bookstore with me in the early 90s. And he was a bit irritated that I was really entertaining the theories because his specialty, I was almost insulting his specialty, <laughs> you know, with this stuff. And he, said, he encouraged me, Eric, just keep reading, just keep reading. And he recommended books more books to read and the more that I, I the more that I read about ancient history the more I realized Sitchin was wrong and Von Donikin was wrong and my actual first article that I ever got published regarding this was with Michael Shermer's Skeptic Magazine where I took apart Sitchin's theory and um, that was about 20 years ago 1998 okay actually and uh, ever since then I've had the bug to write about it and yeah and what I think about it so yeah, yeah so I'm still doing it that's awesome and yeah. I mean the fact that one of your first articles on UFOs and or ancient alien theory is in a skeptic magazine yeah yeah I, the, my, my last things. copy I had here and somebody really wanted it so I gave it yeah yeah I wonder who that person could be um, you'll be seeing photos of that soon guys yeah. my autographed copy so tell us a little about your book. We go from you know a simple article to book form, and I know yeah. that feeling, man. Yeah, it's a big leap. Yeah, I've been I've been writing stories since I was in second grade. Okay, you know, um, and of course when you get the writing bug and people pat you on the shoulder, you start upgrading. Yeah, uh, the book in question you're referring to is called Chasing Disclosure. Uh, that's my second novel. That one was released on December 7th of 2017. And the reason why that is so fascinating to me is a week later, December 16th of 2017, the New York Times story yeah. was Le- Leslie Keen, Blumenthal's story, the hits. And I'm like, what free advertising? And a friend of mine goes, what kind of uh, ad, adver- what kind of money you got for advertising? You got the Pentagon in on this. <laughs> right? Hey, so, you pay your taxes. That's they right. You that's right. So, so a week later, I'm actually at a water park with my kids in the hotel winding down in the evening and I'm seeing the story I'm like well look at that <laughs> it was crazy yeah. man yeah. when that story hit at the most random moment yeah. it was dropped into our laps none of us knew it was coming and that's kind of how this whole phenomenon seems to be yeah you know it comes when you least expect it it's dropped into your life and it changes everything and no matter what people think about to the stars academy or the atip program and what they did it has changed the ufo conversation moving forward for a whole new generation yeah absolutely what do you make of that whole thing before we get to the uh the book you mean to the stars yeah what do you make of yeah all this stuff (sighs) going on with them and it seems like with ufos i'll just talk with just ufos okay disclosure is always coming like, like it's a, just wait, just be patient. I've been playing with this information since the 90s. It's sort of the X-Files thing. Just wait, be patient, Agent Mulder. It's coming, right? 
Uh, we just we're going to release it early, and it never comes. It's almost like you keep dangling that carrot, and people keep investing and keep buying your stuff. Does Tom DeLong have the goods? Well, show your hand, Tom. I, that, that's all I why, name any other field of inquiry or any science or any like physics or astronomy. If somebody said we discovered a structure on the moon, just wait. We'll wait. We'll show you when we're ready. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Right. But we've discovered um, a new field of physics or something. You know, we know how string theory absolutely works or whatever. But just wait. We'll reveal it as. No, you get you let the universities handle the information. You you put the information out there. You let you let experts in the field test it and look at it. You don't keep it proprietary. So I don't know what he's doing. Yeah. You know, I I, I don't. I I'm just I'm waiting. Yeah. I'm waiting like everybody else. Like Tom, just just tell us. <laughs> I, I think that's a good word for it. We're waiting. Yeah. And that's what a entertainer does you know well, that's they, they want to build that anticipation yeah. and that's this whole Tom DeLonge to the Stars thing a lot of people are worried because it is an entertainment thing. that's right it's, you know? it's partially an entertainment company yeah. he's releasing he's releasing fictional books which the first book I read is really good yeah Secret Machines um, but then he's doing yeah. this supposedly realistic like non-fiction side but I'm like I don't, I don't know it's just yeah. so weird like imagine a physics department Releasing cartoons and making stuff up. I don't know. It just it's weird. I'm like, right. just Tom, come on, stop. Come on. Just man. show us. <laughs> Alright, well, speaking of mixing fiction with truth. Yeah. That brings us back to you, Lenny. Yeah, thanks. So tell us a little about the book. Okay, Chasing Disclosure is the title. And basically what I wanted to do because UFOs have been an interest of mine and ancient aliens for that matter, uh, for decades, is I wanted to contribute to this field. But every time that I took notes and thought of things, I felt that I was just retreading old ground, bringing up old history. Just every every time you read a new UFO book, I can't help but feel that eighty percent of it I've already read about. Okay, so I thought about well, what if I just take a fictional fictional characters, create a fictional story, but add elements into it, sort of like what James Cameron did with the movie Titanic. Mm-hmm. You take some fake characters, but you tell this story, and that's what I did. So anybody that's interested in ufology, the study of UFOs and so forth, they're gonna recognize a lot in the book. They're going to be like, I know that story, I know that story, I know that story. Um, and anybody who's not interested or doesn't know much about UFOs will get an education mm-hmm. on some elements that we talk about. Um, so what I did is, the, the, the gist of the story, the summary of the story, is it begins with a plane crash. And um, the only the only one who is currently conscious and awake during the entire, from the time it was in the sky to the time it crashed, is a seven-year-old girl. And the plane comes down looking like it had been crushed in the sky, like a pop can that had been squeezed. Uh, and that's why the passengers, most of them, go unconscious because the cabin loses pressure, and that happens when you're way up there. But for some reason, this young girl, the seven-year-old, was conscious the whole time, other than the pilots. But the pilots aren't talking because uh, the company's like, we don't talk. There's going to be lawsuits. So the only so there's a UFO researcher. He's the protagonist. And this researcher, he says, i got to get to this girl and find out what happened in the sky. Did, some, what's, did something squeeze this plane when it was up there? Did it get attacked and let go? What happened? And so he investigates. He ends up getting in touch with this girl, interviewing this girl. And, and parallel with this story is him doing an investigation about the UFO phenomenon and discovering some things. He was a soldier in Iraq. He was exposed 
to some things in the desert. Okay. And so you get his history at the same time discussing this young girl, and at the end I weave together the story about what he thinks is happening. And it's all somehow connected, And right? it's, it's, it's all connected, oh, yeah. man, yeah, the, so. the synchronicities we find within these fields and yeah. these phenomena are extremely telling, I think, of what whatever may lay at the source of UFOs right. um, or just the information that people hold when it comes to UFOs. Yeah. You know, there's a the very trickster element to all of this. Oh, yeah, certainly. You know? So that, that's what keeps me on my toes, is knowing that we may never know the answers. Maybe your characters will. Maybe they won't in the book. Um, maybe you and I will never know what the hell UFOs actually are. Right. But, I mean, just coming to events like this, meeting right. people, talking, that's... That's a reward enough for me. Well, it's me. like I was discussing earlier. Some people go to Star Trek conventions. Not one of them believes that Klingons <laughs> exist, right. that there's a federation and so forth. But they dress up and they play the part and they enjoy themselves and they have fun. So even if there's nothing to this, I've met a lot of great people. Yeah. And we can talk about things that I can't talk about outside of this because nobody knows what I'm talking about. Exactly. Because they're not into it, right? Yep. I, I don't like sports very much. So I don't know much about football. I can't talk about football. Yeah. That's okay. Most of you can't talk about UFOs. <laughs> That's such a good point. I have been there, man. Yeah. Trying to have a beer you yeah. know, at the bar with my dad and he's telling me the stats of yeah, the look, I don't even Detroit know Lions. I don't know what the hell he's talking That's about. Right. But I could tell him about what happened in Roswell in 1940. Exactly, and I can give you some dates and times and who started it all. Yep, yep. You know? uh, that's what we do. Right I, I actually think that when you were talking about getting to the bottom of all this, is there even a bottom to get to? Yeah. Like Maybe there is no actual phenomenon at all. Maybe it's just a collection of things that we've stitched together that really doesn't belong together. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like for instance, let's say there's a triangle out there or there's a saucer out there or there's something in the water that takes off and goes to the sky. Who's to say that all three of those things aren't completely separate? One's military, one's this, one's a make a complete hoax. You know, maybe there's no phenomenon at all. Yeah. Um, but I'm still, I'm still kind of a big believer in Philip Class's curse. Are okay. you familiar with the curse no, of Philip I'm Class? Not. You know Phil Class's. I know of course who you do. Everybody yeah. knows who Phil Class is. If you, uh, whether you like it or not, whether you yeah. like him or not, Phil Class. Basically, the curse of Phil Class was: no matter how much time you spend on the subject, you're never going to know more about UFOs than you know right now. And wow. Yeah. I, I could actually agree with him on that. That's right. Never and, thought I would say that. Right. And it's been decades. It's been over 70 years since the modern UFO phenomenon, which started in 47. And I can tell you that when I read cases in the 50s and 60s, they don't seem much different than the cases that I read today. And yet nobody seems to... So I, I'm in the game because of... Wow. Why not? This is my sport. And this conference is my Super Bowl. <laughs> I love it, man. There's no better way to end it. And yeah. I think you're going to be very victorious. Yes, thank you so much. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you. An old wine cabinet said to be possessed by a demon, which invokes nightmares and physical harm. An island full of giant rabbits said to appear once every seven years off the coast of Ireland. A rural family that in the dead of winter walked one by one into their barn, but never walked out. The world is full of fascinating mysteries, and the Blurry Photos podcast sheds light on the darkest corners of the unknown. With a new storytelling-focused format, Blurry Photos brings legends to life and examines if there's any fact behind the supposed fictions. Join me, David Flora, as I explore the unexplained and explain the unexplored 
on the Blurry Photos podcast. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I am with a fellow Syracuse CN here, Cheryl Costa. Cheryl, how's it going? Oh, it's terrific. We're having a blast here. We really so are. Fun. Oh, yeah. And the two of us Syracusians yeah. here talk about double trouble. I know they put us together at our table, too. It's trouble made in ufological heaven. Yeah. <laughs> and we're also going to be speaking back to back as well today at the yes, event. Yes, we are. So, um, yes, we are. I would love to know. Since the book has come out, since all the press that you've gotten with all of this stuff that you've done, um, what are you going to be presenting new for us today? Well, okay, I, I redid my slides for the um, uh, UFO Symposium, okay, back in July, okay? I've been talking someplace about every two weeks since the beginning of the year, okay? And the slides were getting a little stale, so I wanted to goose them up, and uh, I had literally had... I made those slides for, for symposium, and then I had the month of August off. And, I, and, and with that month off, knowing I have two more presentations for the year, this and the Greater New England Conference, I decided to go in with some of my more recent research, and I, goosed, I tightened it up, goosed it up with some, some numbers, and a, a poll came out recently, actually about two weeks ago, and a particular metric that was in that Gallup poll was what I was looking for to confirm another metric, another another poll did a couple of years ago, and I u- ended up using that metric to generate some other numbers, and I've got some numbers that no one has ever seen before, and it's going to confirm how much stuff people are seeing in the United States. And not the reported stuff, but the amount of stuff that's being seen but not reported. That's a really good point. We always hear all these all these things about, you know, hundreds of people have seen UFOs in a given day even, yet maybe one of them reports it. So how do you go with that struggle of knowing that your statistics stand for one thing, but then there's hundreds of other people who aren't even talking about what they've seen? Well, I, I've got... What, what I looked at was the, the UFO community wisdom okay. had been 1 in 10. Well, if you take the 320 million people in the United States, 
76% is adults. So let's, see, let's assume adults are the only ones making the reports, okay? And, and from me crawling through the databases over the years writing my newspaper column, it's adults. All right, so um, that's 254 million people and change. Um, so if one in 10 reports what they see, why do we have 25.4 million reports? No, we have 147,000 reports. Okay, actually 148,000. And uh, so I said, okay, a couple of, pe- a couple of people, ke- nerds came back to me and said, well, sure, it's the other way, you know. I said, what is it? He says, one in 10 sees them. And one in ten reports them. So, using that same extrapolation, does that mean we have 2.54 million reports? No, we have 146,147,000 sightings. Okay. Okay? So, I said, there's got to be something else. Okay? So, I looked at a particular poll, uh, a Fox News poll, uh, Fox Picture Home Entertainment, in July of 2017, uh, they were promoting that that uh, movie they did about the abduction movie they did about the Phoenix Lights. Oh yeah, the okay. They did a national poll, and during the national poll, one of the things they came out with a number of they said fifty sixteen point seven four percent of Americans say they've seen a UFO. Okay. All right. Now, yeah, we could go back seventy years, but the bulk of the sightings have been in the past 30 years, and I've measured approximately the last 20. Okay. And I can tell you, before 2001, the numbers going back to, like, uh, 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 1989, probably total less than about 3,000 or 4,000. Remember, people didn't really start reporting things until broadband was freely available. Mm -hmm. And that boosted National UFO Reporting Center. MUFON wasn't known about by most people, and their numbers were tiny until about 2007. Uh, a Discovery Channel thing did a thing on them, and suddenly now people knew where to report. So a function of reporting UFOs is one, um, having broadband an easy way to report them. Because much before the ni- early 1990s, everything was sent to one of these collecting agencies yeah. by uh, a fax or an email or a voicemail on somebody's answering machine. Right. Right. And it started to tick up a little bit in the late 80s and early 90s because people were starting to get on CompuServe mm-hmm. and America Online, things like that. Message boards, stuff yeah. like that. And yeah. it started to tick up a little bit. But the, the real jump, and I, I compared it early on with um, industry documentation about how broadband was coming, uh, when as it was coming, people getting off uh, dial-up and all this kind of thing. And for the most part, most of it happened in the uh, from two, 1995 to about 2000, and from about 2005 to about 2008, the rest of it sort of the, the more rural areas started getting the cable broadband and things like this. But your major cities, you see it in the early 2000s. So this is what we were dealing with. So a function of no, you got to know you got to have the ability to report it, and you got to know who to report it to. Now we do have a lot of people who just don't even know about MUFON, don't know about New Fork, and they report them on 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 Facebook to their friends. <laughs> right. So we're missing those reports, but um, it, it's small change. Okay. Okay. So what happens is Fox came back with this uh, had this number of sixteen percent. Okay, a tad over 16%. Two weeks ago, in the middle of September 2019, Gallup Poll announced a UFO poll 
And uh, they, they came back with the same 36% are believers, 80% doesn't, doesn't believe that the government is telling us what it knows, you know, all this. And then they also came back and said 16% of Americans have seen a UFO. So at that point, I felt comfortable to use that number as a, as a constant. I went in there and cranked my numbers, and the sightings, uh, I take about 30%, uh, I take about 70% off the top. Okay. Everybody comes to me, oh, Cheryl, there's misidentifieds, and there's, there's, uh, there's, there's hoaxes, there's this, there's that. And a lot of our peers are grudgingly willing to take 5 or 10% off the top of the big numbers. Uh, I, went for the, I went for the gusto because Dr. Jacques Vallée said um, 80% is noise. Linda and I approached it from a different approach. We said the exotic non-aerodynamic shapes are the truth. And and the truth was also what we found by deep diving the, the big data was that the tiny numbers are the truth. So we took 70% right off the top. Okay. Okay? And that left us with 44,000. Okay, now you divide that by 18 and you get about 2,500 a year, 24 and change, okay? 2,400 and change. Divide that by 12, you get about 205. And uh, actually, it's a little bit bigger than that. And then you divide that next number, I don't have off the top of my head, and it, by 50 states, 51 states actually, uh, if you count the district, and you come back with a number that says um, every single state had four exotic sightings a month for the past 18 years or one exotic event a week for the last 18 years that is that is 900 weeks over 900 weeks okay there's the tiny numbers okay the truth is in the numbers yeah and and what we did with this new 16% we did a completely different formula instead of taking sightings and trying to bounce it back against population we took a raw population 42,700 took 70% off the top came back with about 12 million and then we cranked the same thing 18 years by 12 months by 50 states and we came back with instead of one site exotic sighting a week we came back with 1.08 sightings per week okay. it confirmed it and it was a completely different set of numbers but the constants were the key to it it was there wow. it was there and uh, linda when i showed her those numbers earlier this week amazingly yeah. enough I showed her the numbers. She sat down at the dining room table with a calculator and sat there and crunched it herself. And she came back and says, my God, we confirmed it. You got it. And it also confirmed the other constant was it varies from state to state based on population and the actual sightings, what the ratio is. It's as little of how many people report them, right? Okay. It's as low as 1 in, one, one in 150 to 1 in 475, but the bulk of it is one in somewhere in the 200s. If you just take the national population of the adult population of the United States, it translates down to one in 290. And I published that on Rogue Planet. Right. 
Okay. You can find it exclusive. Yes, exclusively. <laughs> then, but then when I saw this other 16% number, I went back in and cranked the sightings against the adult populations, pulled them from the census of every single state in the union, mm-hmm. and then ran the numbers back against that. And I came back with a ratio, it, like I said, it varied widely from state. Your mileage varies. But then I added them all up and averaged it, and it came up to 1 in 277 reports what they see. So that was the other constant. So we took 70% off the top, and when we went to go do the um, the constant, we put that constant in there with whatever number we got just before the four, sh- four, four sightings a month. Boom, there it was. That's the actual what people report for about four a month. Okay. And... and uh, that's what turns out, and, and we both sat there and, and we poured a drink. Yeah, we, you. we both sat there looking at each other. My gosh, we confirmed it after that kind of math. Yeah, and that kind of confirmation, I would need at least a triple whiskey. Now, to keep me going. when I published the one about the one in two hundred ninety, again, it's 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 very. Remember, we're talking some slushy numbers here, okay? But it's pretty close. When you look at it, now I had a lot of mail from a lot of. And I would say experts in the UFO community come back, oh, but we interviewed everybody who came out of so-and-so's dentist's office for a year. Or they came back and they say, oh, we interviewed everybody over a phone poll we did through our public television station, right? And it came out one in ten. But here's what they're missing. They probably had a few hundred people to deal with, okay? And especially if people do this kind of a poll at a UFO convention, you're preaching to the choir. Okay? Yeah, numbers are going to skyrocket. Exactly. So we took the uh, we took the approach that how, how do I want to say this politely? They were working with small numbers. And we've learned in the past five years working with this stuff, and Google's learned this, uh, and Amazon's learned this, the truth is in big numbers. Because the little numbers, uh, you only get a very small sample, and the bigger the sample, the better the result. Okay, and it crunched down. So we found out that, um, uh, well, I'll give you an example. When we were looking, people asked me when we were doing the original book, they said, what about the, when I told some people that it uh, seems like Saturday night seems to be the night everybody gets the UFO sightings, right? And they said, well, what about John, the late John Keel's uh, Wesney effect? All right. Well, he worked with only 800 to 1,000 punch cards. Back in the day, on big old 360 computer, and punch cards was the entry method at that time. And most of them were skewed to the southern states and the southwest. Well, if I ran a report against just the southern states and the southwest, I would be skewed to Wednesday or Thursday myself. Okay? But when you do the entire country, 76% were on Saturday night. Okay. Now, the South Carol- Now this is something funny. South Carolina, North Carolina, and Mississippi, and a couple of these places, it was Wednesday. And in a couple of other southern states, it was Thursday. And my spouse's interns were taking a look at that, and they said, well, we're from down there. That's Bible study night. Again, it confirms what we knew about UFO sightings, population, temperate weather, leisure time, and hours of darkness. So what's a leisure time? You go out to your church meeting, and you're coming out, and you're in the parking lot talking to people. It's after dark, and boom, you're going to see something. Exactly. Okay, the that's how it works out. Yeah. 60, uh, 68 to 75% of the sightings on an average day happen after 5 o'clock with about 
50% of that amount right. happening between 8.30 and 10.30 at night. Okay. Wow. All right. And it's consistent. And the only place you see some goofiness is from state to state. Sometimes that peak is a little narrower than others. Sometimes it goes up and rounds out real nice. Okay. But they all fall off around midnight. And then you look at the 1 o'clock in the morning number to 6 o'clock in the morning. Yes. Usually there's a bump about 5 o'clock. And we used to tell people, who sees most UFO, reports most UFOs? Dog walkers, smokers, and people out for that first smoke, maybe walking the dog. Right. right. Okay? So we see that bump. The first dog, first letting the dog out first thing, going out for that first smoke in the morning. Yep, yep. Okay? But we saw some other bumps in other states. Give you an example. Arkansas. It's at 3 o'clock in the morning. We didn't understand that. After I gave the presentation, I had 12 men come up to me and say, we're all chicken farmers, and we grow a lot of chickens here in Arkansas, and that's when we're prepping our birds to go to market. Okay. Okay? okay? So that's you why go, they were out. Yeah. You go to Las Vegas, yeah. there's a bump at 1, there's a bump at 2, and a bump at 4. Well, the, the Nevada investigator said, well, that's when the clubs and the, clubs and the shows let out. <laughs> yep. The, the study of the hourly charts where it's much about human activity as much as it is the aliens. Not so much the alien. People say, well, why are the aliens there at that time? No, no. It's are the people there to see them. Just observing them. Yeah. Okay. I took the approach also, Lynn and I took the approach that these things are regularly scheduled flights, you know. <laughs> yeah. And there is one shape that is like that. Remember okay. I said the tiny numbers? Yeah, yeah. 2,400 sightings in t- 18 years. Okay. An average of 75 to 180, I'm sorry, 75 to 181 with an average of 123 a year. Okay. And so it goes along as a straight line, but it's so tiny. When you look at the graph with all the sightings added up, this guy is barely off the bottom line of the graph. Okay. It's that tiny. Okay. Okay? Yeah. But it is almost a straight line. Oh, it's okay. a regularly scheduled flight. I call him the humble flyer. <laughs> and the shape is called the changing UFO. Yes. That's the one that's got the stealth technology. When uh, Dr. Valet talks about it, you look at the thing and it changes on you. But that's the ultimate stealth. Say the thing's got an AI technology in there that's running the ship, has the mechanical telepathic ability, whatever the heck, and it knows you're looking at it, so it changes its appearance so you, you can't get a grasp on what it is. Right. That's right. the ultimate stealth technology when you think about it. Oh, you're right, yeah. It's okay. an amorphous yes. phenomenon. Vehicle. And one of those numbers that I had to divide by 50 states yeah. was about 2,400. And that's the 2,400 sightings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny how that worked out, yeah. huh? So that was the mind blow moment. Yeah. Where the drinks came out. Wow. Love it, Cheryl. Well, um, this is what I do on rainy afternoons. Hey, we all have our things. But your work is essential in this field. And what I always tell people is, and this is why you and I have both been approached, you know, by uh, production companies and stuff like that, is they want the numbers. They want to see where these things are happening. So then investigators like myself can go out and investigate them. Mm-hmm. You have the side of the work you do in ufology that is essential where are the patterns where are the flags what are the shapes 
where, where and when are they happening so that we can then go out and talk to the people who are having yes. the experience. Yes. And I think working together is where we're going to find that common ground to figure out what's going on. One of the things we've discovered, the last past year I've been doing forensics. Yeah. yeah. Okay, d- d- digital forensics. Yeah. It's tedious work, but I've come up with ways of doing it, okay? Some of them are as simple as printing out 12 months, uh, everyday sightings, down the left-hand side of the page, and 18 years across the top of the page, and each of those pages represents one month for 18 years, Okay. okay? I staple them together, I put them on a clipboard, grab a bright highlighter, and I go in and watch my soaps. And during the commercial breaks, I look at these monthly things. And when I look at the monthly things, I take I take the highlighter and I mark the places. Most of the states or most of the years, daily average in the United States is about twenty to fifty sightings total. Okay. On a day by day basis. Okay. And then what you do is you mark the ones where there's a jump in the sightings. That's something I usually for the United States I say anything over a seven. Okay. And yes, in, in a spreadsheet, I can turn on the conditional things, you geeks. I know I can do that. But sometimes I miss certain things, and the human eye can see other things that's unusual. Okay, So I tend to do it with the felt tip, and then I also do the, 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 the thing with the conditional settings in like Excel to take another look at it. But sometimes the human eye sees things, makes a wisdom call on something that's not quite that hard, cold bottom floor, okay? So what happens is then what I do is I'll, I'll write down. In fact, I had a whole bunch of women volunteer. I said, if I send you the day-by-day charts for a sta- your home state, would you print it out landscape and take a felt tip to it, mark it up, and then send me back year, day, month, and day of all these clusters. Don't need to know the number. Just tell me what the day was. Yeah. Anything above this number for your state. In a state like Connecticut or Massachusetts, I, I tell them as low as three because they don't have that many sightings. Mm-hmm. Rhode Island, I might just say, check anything over two, you know. <laughs> um, but they do this. And I had about uh, 18 women sign up. Two men, 18 women signed up and said, sure, I can do it. And I got one lady came back to me and says, I can write code to crunch all this stuff, you know. So, I mean, I've got, we've assembled, and we told them we would, we would credit them if we write this book. But what we've done is we go back in, look at the year, do a data breakout right from the database, and just call it up in a, a pivot table. The year, the day, the specific day, boom. There's, and then we do it by state. You know, okay, here you go. I'll give you an example. In, uh, there was one in um, April 16, 2008. 60 sightings in one day. Jumped above the baseline of about 20. So I broke it out, and there's about 15 states there. And they all, onesie, twosies, except Indiana. Indiana's number 15 state in the country with only about 3,300 sightings in the last 18 years. So that's significant. It was 25. So we did another breakout by counties in Indiana, and we saw onesie-twosies with the other counties, and then Kokomo County had 12. Did another breakout down to the city level, and there's like six cities of onesie-twosies, and then boom, there is a 
about a city or a township called Howard in Kokomo County, Indiana, that on April 16, 2008, had 12 sightings. Understand, I'm looking at a chart that on the average has nothing or onesie twosies on it. Right. Okay. But then when you get down there. Yes. So, I mean. You know what we're discovering? Yeah, yeah. Imagine some place that you know about that's got a volunteer fire department, maybe a general store that sells Hagen dazs and uh, and a half a dozen trailers out there. Okay, not much more than a cattle crossing. Okay, that has nothing going on all the time. But one year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, so for one particular day, something really amazing went down. Beats going to places like Roswell and Kecksburg again, doesn't it? Where nothing's happening, exactly. And that's why I would be hungry to go out to that place. That's amazing. Well, the next one we're doing, we just did the national one. We've got them marked up. And uh, the girls were really fabulous. And they're all going to be credited in the book. Cool. Okay. A lot of women research there. That was cool. So the next one we're doing, and they all volunteered. Can we do some more? Mm -hmm. So I'm doing the sort on individual shapes. Okay. By day and by 18 years across the top. Okay. And we're going to look for individual shape clusters. Now, we've already did spheres. And, boy, we had some stuff there that just opened our eyes. You know, one particular... Now, in California, yeah, you might see... Oh, yeah, they had seven spheres seen in California on this particular day. Look, they, they got more sightings than anybody else. Yeah. But if that, that had, that's seven sightings, if it was in Kansas... That's or uh, even New York State, that would be significant. Right. Okay? Someplace other than California. Yeah. And it's not driven by population. It's population, temperate weather, leisure time, and hours of darkness. Now, I had some people kind of corner me in and say, well, what about water? And we saw a lot about water, but then we had to go back and look at history. Remember your American history. Everybody built their villages and their towns around lakes and waterways because it was a, a, a vehicle for transportation as well. And those populations stayed there. So just because we have a lot of UFO sightings around waterways doesn't necessarily mean it's it's not about the water. It might be about the population in those right. concentrations. Right. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Awesome. Well, Cheryl, I, I got to thank you. We have some strange conversations in my we, household. I can only imagine to be a fly <laughs> on the wall, but we got to be a fly on the wall today with you, so I can't wait to see your talk today. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to work with you again. Um, where can we find all of your work? Any well, right now, the only thing that's available right now is the, U, uh, the UFO Sightings Desk Reference. Okay. UFO Sightings Desk Reference, available on Amazon. If you just put that in, it'll pop right up. Uh, it's by Linda Co- uh, Cheryl Costa and Linda Miller Costa. She's the brains of the operation. She's got the science degrees. I got the top hat in the can. I got an arts and entertainment degree, you know. But I had crunching back uh, analysis and crunching background in the Navy and then 30 years at Lockheed. So, you know, that's where my background is. Um, we're getting ready. Uh, the newspaper I wrote for for seven years went out of business in June. We have retrieved all 236 articles that I wrote. Uh, over those seven years, all those newspaper articles that were very matter-of-fact about UFOs, we wrote them up just like any car accident or any house that burned down or whatever, or any lost kid, you know. And um, uh, we retrieved them at, when the paper was going out of business, and we are going to publish sometime before the first of the year. We're going to publish all 236 of those articles on a trade paperback, and it'll probably be available on Amazon again probably by the end of the year. 
Awesome. I can't wait. And then we're going to do it. We're gonna, and then we're, this year we're hoping to do um, a cluster study and a shapes cluster study um, and print a book about that. Just all this stuff that we discovered. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, I love boom. it. I love it. Thank you, Cheryl. My pleasure. Uh, it's, it's, you are one of the shining heroes in the field right now. And uh, the fact that you've been featured in the New York Times and all across the country, uh, it, it's, it's, it shows that the work you're doing is not only beneficial to our field, but it is truly essential. Now, so thank you. To, to the, some of your listeners probably want to know when our next book of statistics is coming out. Yes. Since ours came out in 2017. It would have to be coming out in 2021. Okay. Uh, because we, what we've decided to do is take it out to 2020. We'll have a clear sample of the first 20 years of the 21st century. Okay? Here's the problem. We were going to do it this year. But if we did the report with all the algorithms that we built, all the deep dive we've built, if we did it the way we wanted to do it, literally being able to drill down to the individual city level and be able to show you what shapes and when they had them, the book would be as thick as a very large Oxford Dictionary, about eight inches deep, okay? We can't do it. At 4,700 pages, we can't do that. So what we're probably going to do is hold off to 2020 and print 50 individual books for 50, 51 individual states and uh, probably include D.C. in with Maryland or something like that, but do 50 individual books and then a couple of analysis books, and that will be the largest collection of UFO data ever published, and Linda and I will walk off into the sunset. <laughs> That's it for you guys. Well, I can't wait for all that. It's so cinematic. I love it. <laughs> Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you. is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.